0: So our scripture reading today is taken from Second Samuel chapter 22, and there are a couple of, so there are probably two uh, pew Bibles or church Bibles in each row. Uh, we're moving away from putting the passage in the bulletin uh, back to uh, helping you uh, navigate through an actual Bible or, or through a Bible app you know, your choice. Uh, but we are on in Second Samuel chapter 22, and that is uh, in that Bible that's provided, that is on page 274. So today we come to uh, the first of two closing songs in 2 Samuel. So uh, this one longer, and then a shorter song in the beginning of chapter 23, uh, which means then that if you look at First and Second Samuel as a whole... It means that uh, that one collection, that one book, starts or very, at the very beginning, there is a song. It opens with the song of Hannah uh, rejoicing over God's answer to her prayers in providing uh, a son. Uh, in the middle, there's a very short song as David laments the death of Saul and Saul's son, Jonathan. Uh, and then at the very end are these songs of David. And so the whole book is, uh, is kind of bookended and then divided in the middle with these songs. Uh, this psalm uh, is actually captured almost word for word in Psalm 18. So if you flipped to Psalm 18 uh, and listened as I read this psalm, you would notice that they're very similar. In fact, Psalm 18, the title of the psalm is almost word for word, uh, the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 22. Uh, The changes, some of them are just spelling changes, some of it, you could say that Psalm 18 is sort of the corporate worship version of 1 Samuel 22, which is sort of the David's own personal uh, song to God in praise for his deliverance and uh so while it's uh, it 's appropriate to at times like really dissect a passage of scripture and just dig in deep and just kind of pull things apart and and find little nuggets of truth' it's also it 's also appropriate when we approach poetry in scripture in scripture to remember that poetry is meant to be sort of taken in it 's not really it 's not really meant to be dissected so much as it is to to just be received and and And, and enjoyed, you know, we don't, we don't dissect the, I mean, maybe you do, I don't know, like when you're reading, uh, you know, the nursery rhymes to your children. I mean, you don't, your kids don't sit there and wonder who is Jack anyway. What's his motivation? Like why? And is it the same Jack that jumped the candlestick that fell down and broke his crown? What is with Jack? He's a busy little fellow. Sticks his thumb in pies, he sits in corners is and why Jill? And what's their relationship? And so you just kind of miss the whole thing. Uh, if you if you do that too much. Now some some poems ring around the rosy, those are fun to to dissect because then you realize you just it's a big song about dying people. So But hey, it's fun for the whole family. Uh, We're not going to read the whole psalm or the whole song together in one standing, but we'll read it as we go along. But we will stand for the reading uh, of just the first 20 verses. So if you would stand with me. And what we'll see in this song, uh, the first 20 verses give us the first point, the reason for praise. And then we'll see also a lifestyle of praise and then the person or the one that we praise. So uh, this is Second Samuel chapter 22. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven And the Most High uttered his voice, and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. What is it with song, with poems, with music. In one sense, couldn't, we, couldn't this have all been taken care of in like two verses? In fact, it was, wasn't it? I mean, the first verse explains it. So the Lord delivered David from all his enemies. And really, all of Second Samuel sort of lays that out for us in narrative fashion. Uh, we've seen how the Lord delivered David And we could learn some historical truths or facts about how God delivered David. But music isn't really intended to just teach you historical truths or facts. Music is intended to move your heart. Poems are intended, poetry is intended to move your heart. We read these poems and we don't necessarily learn facts about how God delivered David. What we learn from these songs are David's heart for God and God's heart for his servant. The first few verses are just an explosion of praise. David can't contain himself. He can't decide on what name to call his God. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. And the bottom line, I called upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. In Verses 5 and 6 it sort of just lays out for us why David is so overwhelmed. It's just four different statements of death. Four different phrases, death, destruction, Sheol, death. David is, oh, was overwhelmed. He was, it isn't just that he was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but death itself, it wasn't just a shadow, it was actual death that he was facing over and over again. And verse 7 reminds us that David does the only reasonable thing when you are facing death, when you are facing enemies that will kill you, will destroy you. He cried out to God, and God heard. God hears you. As we read this poem, as we take this poem in, it's, it's not nothing that it's re- recorded twice in the Bible for us, for us to remember God hears you when you cry out to him. Are you overwhelmed by life? Are you overwhelmed by death? Are you overwhelmed by sorrow, by your past or your future or your present? Cry out to God and know and be comforted with the one truth that David knew. When I cry to God, he hears me. God hears you. Verses 8 to 16 are just a a very poetic way of saying that God came to my aid. God heard David's cry, and it says that God became angry, not with David, not because he was bothering him, not because he was interrupting the game, but God was angry with the people who were attacking David. And he comes, and David's description, God sounds like a dragon, doesn't he? He's this force to be reckoned with, or at the very least, he's riding on a dragon. So apparently some cherubs are more animal-like because it says God rode on the cherub's back. So it's not like God's getting a piggyback ride from one of his angels. It's, it's a little stronger visual than that. He is coming in, in force as a, as a warrior, as a champion, to do battle on behalf of his child. Look at verses 17 to 20. All of the action is the Lord's. He sent. He took. He drew. He rescued. Why? Well, for one, because of David's need. Because they were too mighty for me. God rescued because I needed Rescue, I could not face this alone. I needed deliverance and he was my support. But again, why in verse 20, why did he rescue David? Because he delighted in him. God rescued David because he delights in David. God hears your prayers because he delights in you. He's not annoyed by you. He's not frustrated with you. He delights in you. The psalm opens and closes just with with overflowing, overwhelming explosions of uncontainable praise because God has delivered David. I don't know if you remember that account in Luke of the the woman who kind of crashes a dinner party that that Jesus was at. And she sneaks in and she uh, kind of crawls around behind the back of them. They, they didn't sit at tables like we do. So like their feet were behind them. So she sneaks around and she, she breaks some perfume over Jesus' feet. Do you remember this? And she starts washing his feet with her tears and wiping them dry with her hair. And uh, do you remember uh, in, in Luke, he describes it, or Jesus actually describes what is happening or why it's happening. He says, this woman has been forgiven much And so she loves much. Here in this psalm, what we see is David has been rescued from much. And so he praises much. When you know how much you have been rescued from, you will praise that much more. Vibrantly, your rescuer. We all have times that we go through of of just hearts that are cold to God. Where uh, coming to church, coming to worship is more of a have-to than a get-to. It's just a thing you're supposed to do, and so you do it. Do you find it? hard to pray at times, or hard to sing? Do you find it hard to cry out? Maybe maybe it is because you have forgotten how much you have been rescued from, how much you have been delivered. When we remember how much we've been saved from, it will naturally produce in us praise, Praise for the one who rescued us, who saved us. I've gotten I've gotten into this show, uh, and I'm always late to these shows. So some of you've probably seen the whole series, but uh, Deadliest Catch. Holy cow! What a show! Uh, but in like, and I know there's 18 seasons, and I'm in like season two. Uh, but uh, there's there's one episode where. Uh, uh, a fisherman on another boat falls into uh, the freezing sea. And this, uh, this captain and this other boat is able to come and rescue him. And, you know, when he, they, they, they pull him in, they save him, you know, they, he's, they, they warm him up. And, you know, he's not like, like he doesn't like fall to pieces over the, the life ring, That they used to bring him in. He doesn't fall to pieces over the the rope that hauled him in. In fact, he doesn't even fall to pieces over the guys who were on the bow of the boat who did the hauling. When the captain of the ship comes down to see if he's okay, the man is just a, and these are like manly men, uh, he is a blubbering mess and can't stop hugging this captain and burying his face in the captain's chest and just saying you saved my life man you saved me you saved my life man and the captain's just hugging him and like he doesn't know what to do with this outburst of emotion and and he's just like well man you really gave us a scare do you ever bury your face in your father's chest? Do you ever remember? You saved me, man. You saved my life, man. I, I was a goner. You saved me. Not just because you needed it, but because he delights in you. He saved you because he delights in you. God sent from on high and took you. He rescued you. Your enemies were too mighty for you. Sin and death and Satan and this world and God, the Lord himself, was your support. He brought you out of death because he delights in you. Now, this next section is short and it can get a little confusing. Because it sounds like David is making some strange claims in these five verses that you and I know are not true about him. In verses 21 to 25, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God for all his rules were before me and from his statutes. I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt and the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my my cleanness. In his sight. <laughs> what? 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 What is David saying here? What? Now we can, we can probably rule out some things that it can't be what it sounds like it is, can it? Because this is the same David who says, Surely I was born in sin, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. In Psalm 51 how does David who admits that he was sinful from birth also make these bold claims about blamelessness righteousness David is not claiming a perfection and he's not being willfully blind to his own sin he speaks more of a a leaning of his heart a direction that he follows Listen, it is not possible for us to overemphasize the righteousness of Christ. That you need the righteousness of Christ. That that it is freely offered, that it is only in Christ's righteousness that you are saved. It is only by Christ's righteousness that you are justified. It is impossible for us to overemphasize that. But it is possible... For us to underemphasize that when God delights in you and calls you to Him, He calls you to a life of righteousness. He does call you to be changed by His delight in you. He does call on us to live lives worthy of the gospel. In Isaiah 29, God says, This people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The fear of my commandments is just a com- the, f- the fear of me is just a commandment taught by men. And in the New Testament also, this isn't just an Old Testament idea. James 1. James says, be doers of the word. Not just hearers. And so deceiving yourself, we can hear God's word and deceive ourselves because it does nothing to our hearts. It does nothing to give us a desire to follow God's commands. Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Praise is not a moment. Praising God is a lifestyle. This is revealing to us a lifestyle of praise. This is a reminder that God's rescue changes us. If if I will not be changed by God's deliverance, God's rescue, God's hearing me, God's delighting in me, it's not really God I want. Really, all I want is a bomb shelter. I, I don't go to God because of his delight. I go to God because he's able to do things that I can't do, and so I just need him to fix a few things. And then when he's done fixing it, I'm like, whew, that was close, and I'm back to my own life and my own way. And, but does God's rescue, God's delight in me, is it so personal that it actually affects how I live? Do I want to live to honor God? Christ, because He is my protector. He who delights in me causes me to delight in Him. And then finally, the entire second half of the song is just another long explosion of praise reminding us of who it is that we are praising. 26 to 31 with the merciful you show yourself merciful with a blameless man you show yourself blameless with the purified you deal purely with the crooked you yourself you make yourself seem tortuous. you save a humble people but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down for you are my lamp O Lord and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Much like in Psalm 23, uh, David here goes back and forth between talking about God and talking to God. He says, you are merciful, you are blameless, you are pure, You deal deal tortuously with the crooked. You lift up the humble, but bring down the haughty. God is a lamp. He's a light in darkness. He's a strength. His strength gives me strength to face enemies and overcome obstacles. David never looks at his own strength without seeing God's strength behind it. God's way is perfect. His word is true. He protects everyone who comes to him. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It is, it is easy. My burden is light. I am gentle and lowly of heart. God protects all who come to him for refuge. In verses 32 to 33, there's no God but the covenant-keeping God. There is no God but Yahweh, no God but the Lord. And there is no protection. There is no rock. There is no refuge if God himself isn't that rock. Again, David praises God for anything good that he sees in himself. In verse 33, he says, God has made my way blameless. In verse 34, he has made me stand firm. In verse 35, he gave me strength to face the battles. Because God alone, in verse 36, God alone is the shield of my salvation. And by his gentleness, he has made me great. This is essentially what we'll be exploring all throughout our care groups this year. The gentleness of of God, that, that Jesus calls himself gentle and lowly, and that it's his gentleness toward us, his his kindness toward us that draws us to himself. Again in verses 37 to 43, David acknowledges that all of his victories were not by his own strength or his own innate abilities, but because of the strength and abilities of God. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. This is verse 39. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like mire of the streets. Even in celebrating his victories, he celebrates them in such a way that gives all praise and honor and glory to God. You did this. If my feet were firmly planted, it is because you gave me a place to stand. I pursued, consumed, destroyed my enemies because you equipped me for battle. Verse 44, you protected me even when the strife was with my own people. And in verses 44 to 46, he recognizes just the the covenantal promises being fulfilled. You brought heads of nations who came first as enemies would come and bow down to me because of God. You brought heads of nations to seek peace with me. And and it ends in verses 47 to 51. This grand finale, like the Fourth of July, like, like Tchaikovsky's 1812 overture, is just this explosion of praise. The Lord lives. And blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord lives. God is not some mere force running through things in the rocks and trees and and everything you see. God is a personal God. He lives, and because He lives, you and I can live. We have we, It is in Him that we live and move and have our being. Blessed be my rock, David says. It's not just a rock or even the rock, but my rock. God is my personal Savior. God is my personal Deliverer because He delights in me. God is my rock. He is the rock of my salvation. It was God alone and God always. He brought down my enemies. He raised me up. He delivered me. And so for this, I will praise you among the nations. I will sing praise to your name, no matter who's watching or who's listening. I will sing your praises among both those who are your enemies and those who are your children. I will sing your praises. I think it might have been G.K. Chesterton who once quipped that the, uh, the notion that singing should be reserved only for those who sing well is as silly as the notion that laughing should be reserved only for those who laugh well. We should have professional laughers because there's just some people who laugh better than others. He says that's silly. And the same applies to singing. We sing not because of the worthiness of our voices, but because of the worthiness of he to whom we are singing. We sing because God is worthy of being praised. I will sing before the nations, David says, Will we sing God's praises when we come together in a safe and protected place like the church? Can we sing God's praises not because we're so great at it, but because he's so great and good, great salvation God brings to us he shows steadfast love he shows hesed to his anointed to david and his offspring forever this psalm even ends with this covenantal reminder that that this is a david praises god because god keeps his promises because God has made a promise that David and his offspring, his offspring will be, will be on the throne forever. And we sing praise to God because he accomplished that through his son, Jesus, David's son, the offspring of David. That's who we praise. We praise the son, Jesus Christ, the true anointed, the true Messiah. It is good for us to praise God. It is good for us to remember, to look back and say, look at all that God has delivered me from. To recognize that he's worthy of praise. He saved me because I needed saving and because he delights in me. And so I praise him. Let's pray. God, thank you. We do praise you. It's so hard. It's hard because of the hardness of our hearts. I know for me personally when I come to pray like I don't even know what to say. I don't know how to begin with praise and adoration. It's it it's clunky and it's it's not it just doesn't flow like like my confessions and my sin that are ever before me, and so those flow out easily, and my desires and the things I want deliverance for or from, the things that I desire in my life, I can pray so easily those sections, but when it comes to praising you, God. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage specifically, that we can just... Take your words and pray them back to you. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me. You save me. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved. God, thank you. And this salvation didn't come to us at the death of your enemies. This salvation came to us at the death of your Son. That is how much you delight in us. Behold, what kind of love is this? that the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Thank you, God, for rescuing us, for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, for the salvation we have in you, God's anointed, the Messiah, the fulfillment of God's promises. God, would you give us lives, lives of praise? Help us to praise you, not just in a moment or in a day or in, in an hour, but in our entire lives. Help us to praise you with all of our hearts, not just with our mouths. Help us to praise you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. to live lives of obedience and righteousness that you call for. And when we sin, grant that we would cry out to you quickly, not relying on our own even uh, sense of commitment to do better next time, but coming to you, crying out, Because salvation comes from you alone. We celebrate today the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. We celebrate today that it is by his body and his blood that we are made whole. We praise you, God, for our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.